welcome to episode 113 of the Dive Down, a Magic the Gathering podcast focused on the latest decks, trends, and strategies for the casual spike. My name is Stanislav here in Chicago, and with me on the line from Denver, Colorado, it's the one and only Shane Beeps. Stan, how, how's, how you, you hanging in there? How's it going in Chicago? Well, we hit 40 today, so the snow is starting to melt. Did all like 28 inches of snow melt? Maybe two inches of them, but it's, it's starting. Yeah. I'm glad we got to talk about weather. Really underrated sequel album. <laughs> God. Who's that on the line? Oh, I think that's The Godfather. Is that Dave Harburger? I, I, I'm, it's just snow. Informer. It's Dave. Here we are. Let's do this. On this week's episode, we celebrate the first week after last week's ban a palooza by taking a spin through all the formats that we care about, modern, historic, and even pioneer. It's back, baby. Also having a look at what's been going on in the last week in general. We'll take a look at the meta we're seeing in each format, talk about some of the decks that we tried, some of the stuff we saw in our play. But before all that, we gotta start with housekeeping. Shout out to the newest patron to join the Dive Down Nation, Andrew P. Andrew is also our increased patron for the week. Thank you, Andrew. Yeah, went up went up two tiers, I believe. He was like, I'm, I'm gonna start at one... But you know what? I want that playmat. I want that the playmat at the $8 tier, which we can talk about in the Patreon plug. But first, we have three new reviews. I love reviews. I love them so much. New reviews on the Apple Podcasts application of some kind. I think it's called iTunes, if you still use your desktop. Uh, Epic Adesitier. Me, not you. And Chad old besturgeon thank you for making it challenging for me all of you uh we appreciate the reviews yeah these screen names are not getting easier as we get deeper into this podcast are they they i think it's some kind of like weird psyop being played on us where we'll just get harder ones to say every couple of weeks i think it's because like the the namespace is limited on on like apple Podcasts and itunes people have to just make it like me with six e's was already taken yeah this person had to do seven. I like that I'm imagining some rejected B story from Lost for the screen names, and you're like, it's just a, it's just namespace crowding, it's namespace, namespace crowding. I will say special shout out to Epic, who was another person who mentioned that they listen on Spotify but created or logged into iTunes just to give us a review. So thank you very much for taking the extra effort. We appreciate it. Yeah, big effort. Um, we mentioned the patreon a second ago that is how you listeners out there can help us keep going uh pay for various podcast technology and services and in turn uh get access to the super secret slack server uh i'm i always love when new people come in like i always say it's just a a new a new new virtual face a new voice in the community and adds to the awesome discourse that happens there every day and uh, also get some extra swag thrown your way. If you go up all the way to the top tier, you can help us craft a custom episode on a topic of your choice, all that kind of stuff. So yeah, head on over to patreon.com slash the dive down. If you'd like to support the show while playing magic, you can check out our mana traders. If you sign up for mana traders, the MTGO subscription service, you can get 15% off your first three months with promo code the dive down, all one word. And if you're an arena player, you can support the show without spending any money by downloading the Untapped Arena Companion app over at untapped.thedivedown.com. 
It keeps track of your performance on the ladder, so you can figure out which decks you're good against, which decks you're bad against, and uh, which good decks you're bad with, <laughs> and which bad decks you get lucky with. Yeah, sometimes the numbers aren't what you want to see, so, you know, be careful. They've been that way for me the last couple of weeks, I'll tell you what. All right, with all that out of the way, we are going to kind of forego the breakdown or do one very, very long breakdown for this episode. We're just going to dive right into Format Palooza 2021. Stan, this is clearly, it's like a, it's, it's a poem. It's, you know, it's rhyme, like George Lucas said. So we're going to, you know, it's going to go A, B, A, B, A, B, I think. Where we're going to talk about, yeah, you know, it's like we'll have a breakdown and a dive down for each format. Yeah. So to remove all of the uh, metaphor and simile about what we'll be doing this week, we're going to take a look at each of our favorite three formats, Modern, Historic, and Pioneer. Talk a little bit about what's happened in the wake of the bands from any competitive data that we have been able to see in the last week, and then also talk about our own personal experiences with playing each of those formats. Uh, Stan, dealer's choice, which format would you like to start with? You don't actually get to choose because the notes are in an order already. Okay, well, let's create the illusion that I have some say in this. I'm going to say modern because Great. I just finished a modern league 10 minutes ago. My man. Uh, listeners, <laughs> a little a little reveal behind the curtain. Uh, m- there's been more than a few times when we've had to delay starting the recording because Stan is finishing some kind of event, whether it's a league or like an arena event or something like that. And Stan's just like, I started the game and it went long. And I'm like, Stan, you could have just not started it. Which is like, I needed the data. I, I don't understand this concept of not starting it. You just press a button and it's waiting for you. Totally. Well, I forgive you. You didn't delay us this time. Yeah, no, I mean, I that's, that's the seductiveness of online magic, right? It's always there just waiting for you. But anyway, we're going to talk first up about our pride and joy, where it all began for the dive down modern. Obviously, as a quick refresher, we had massive bands last week. Uro, Simeon Spirit Guide, Field of the Dead, Mystic Sanctuary, and Tibble's Trickery all gone. We were bound for a shakeup. And the question is, did we get one? And what did that shakeup look like? Was it a bit of time travel or was it moving into the future or was it back to the future? So I think that the list that we're going to look at today might rock you, shock you with how familiar they are is my, my theory. But also one big question, you know, we had predicted last week that uh, Heliod would be one of the best decks, if not the best deck. So I think that that's something to, to think about as we're looking through these as well. Fortunately, this week, we were lucky to have three kind of large-ish events to look at for data. There were two challenges on Magic Online that we could look at, and then Chicago's own Nerd Rage Gaming put together an 86-person championship 5K, I believe, Mm -hmm. uh, online as part of their championship series, and that was also modern. So Mm a couple of pieces of data to look at. Yeah, and let's start with the MTGO challenges, because I went ahead and took the top 32 data And I brought back some pivot tables because it's been too long since we've had those on the show. So I plugged in all the decks into uh, a spreadsheet and I've got some trends to pull out. We'll talk about how different archetypes, you know, spread out over the weekend over the 64 result sample size. And then we'll take a step back and actually look at some of those top eights. But from a high level, overall, among the 64 decks, I took uh, every deck that only had one appearance and put it into an other category. And then everything else that appeared twice or more actually got a slot. And even with this adjustment, 
the other category was still the biggest representation from the weekend with 17.2% across 11 decks. All right. That's that's kind of cool to see. It's the first time in a while that I think we've seen Other be the number one deck in a modern sample like this. Yeah, this is this is quite the chart. There are a, a lot of decks here that have two or more and not really, I don't want to spoil it, but the biggest slice of the pie of an actual deck is not really that big. Not that big at all. Still a reasonable slice if this was a pie or a pizza. You don't want too big of a slice. Oh, I, w- I would definitely eat a slice twice as big right. as that one. And the deck Shane is referring to is, is it Blitz? About 11% representation across seven decks. <gasps> Only 11. That's, I mean, we've seen a history of modern of like 20% plus yeah of like you know the, the best deck recently though it's been actually hovering around 11 we've just had you know 10 11 9 kind of percent we've just had a bunch of decks that were at that level yeah, kind of point. pushing out all of the the single decks so interesting that the top entry in this was still at that 10% ish plus but going from there with five copies the second most represented deck was just burn Good old-fashioned burn with uh, just under 8%. So what you're telling me in the top two decks are Lightning Bolt decks? Yes. Okay. Yes. Swiss beer decks. Swiss Dave. beer decks. Yeah, that's more accurate. <laughs> oh, that's <laughs> that, that new Swiss beer from the Valentine Secret Lair? So cool. Now, I heard that you bought enough to run those. Is that true? Are you gonna, did you get a full play set of those? I, got, I did. I did get a full play set because it's, it's, it has a bunch of cards I play in real life and online. I was like, I just got to get these. I got, I got to prep for the Helia combo decks. I got to prep for playing aggressive decks. They're just too cool. I mean, I'm not going to say I didn't think about it too. I certainly did. You can borrow mine. I'll mail them to you. All right. Up next, we had four decks that appeared four times, 6% of the field each. They were Heliod Company, Hammer Time, Dredge. Oh, so just three decks. Yeah. Oh, that's okay. Yeah. You can count later. Man, Dredge. Dredge is back. Never left. Yeah, does it ever really, truly leave? Yes, it does sometimes. (laughs) But here it is now. So what are we talking about? Heliod is now one of the top decks. So basically what we've talked about everything now, four and above, is about half of the weekend's metagame. Yep. So that's the majority. Dredge, Hammer Time, Heliad, Burn, Blitz, and Other. Mm-hmm. Just shy of, of 50%. It's somewhere in the mid-40s, it looks like to me, from the, the pie chart here. And then the other thing I would say is, you know, this whole chart that we're looking at that Stan put together, um, there are th- 29 unique decks in the sample across all 64 decks. So because that other slice is so big, there is this kind of like large number of decks out of the 64 uh, still, which is very cool as well. Mm-hmm. So here we see Heliod, which we were expecting. I think Hammer Time doesn't surprise anyone. Dredge, probably not a surprise, but not necessarily a deck that we were talking about last week. Yeah. I mean, I think that... I mean, if week one of a format... Mm-hmm. I'm not surprised that a lot of people brought aggro decks, the fastest aggro decks that there are. So Blitz and Burn would be what you would expect to, to, to fulfill those roles. I am surprised to see so many people just getting out their one-ofs. You know, we've got Boggles on this list. We've got Bant Stone Blade. We've got an Azorius Spirit deck. We have an Obzon Soul Blade. We have Five Color Soul Flayer. We have Titan Shift, Yawgmoth, Scape Shift. The one-of list is a who's who of kind of decks that used to be competitive tier two coming back into the meta, which I think is really excellent to see happen. All right. I'm not going to go into too much detail about every single deck, but I kind of want to list off a few more that had uh, more than two copies represented. Those were 
Gruel Midrange, a.k.a. Ponza, a.k.a. My Son, the Deep Fried Calzone Golovchuk. Also, we had Eldrazitron. Okay, perhaps not surprising. Something we talked about in anticipation of things like Burn and Blitz and Hammer Time even. And also this new deck, I'm going to talk about it in a little bit more detail lately, but I want to just get it on your radars. Five color bring to light. Three copies. Um, all these decks had three copies, just under 5%. And five color bring to light already with three copies. I've already had a chance to play against it. I feel like this is probably the closest thing we have to something that's a little bit novel, a little bit of a surprise coming out of the weekend. And it's essentially five color control with bring to light to cheat out Valky for five mana instead of the former three. Yeah. I mean, I think it's a little more complex than that because you get to decide in a situation if you want to get Omnath as, as well, or, you know, of course, any number of other spells in the deck, but you know, it also has at least some of the lists the one that I'm looking at right now, for example, also has scape shift, a single scape shift, and a Valakut in there as win cons. So you can bring to light into a scape shift kill if you want to do that as well. So there, there's a lot of different angles to to this deck going on on here. This might be or something like this. You know, people are still wanting to pay a discount for Valky. Mm-hmm. Um, being able to only run one, not draw it if you don't want it, and bring to light into it when you want it is is a good kind of backup plan. This might be or something like this might be the best grow spiral deck that modern has to offer right now. Yeah, and uh, future spoiler, a uh, little bit of a tease. You're going to see this trend continue in the Pioneer segment. Oh, a tease indeed. Before we get into Pioneer, I do want to point out the winningest decks from the Modern Challenges. I made another chart that had the 16 decks that made top eight across the two tournaments. And once again, the other category, which are decks that only appeared as one ofs across the weekend, had just under 20% of the top eight with three copies, and those were Azoria Spirits, Titan Shift, and Mono Red Prowess. Yeah. However, however, the next slice of that out of the top eight metagame here, yes. with three entries, uh-huh. is Heliod Company. So what we're talking about here is the fact that uh, there were four decks out of the top 64 of these combined tournaments that were Heliod. Three of them made the top eight. And in fact, I think that many people listening to this know that all three of these decks were in the finals of the respective challenges they were in. So one of the cha- one of the challenges was a Heliod mirror match, and the other one was Heliod versus Blue White Control as a mirror match where Blue White Control won. Um, so, yum, yeah, exactly. We thought it might be good. <laughs> Turns out when there's a lot of of uh, life gain, when there's a lot of burn and blitz hanging around. You can kind of fight through the fight through the pain and get them. Yeah, the main deck Oriok Champion helps. Seems like it probably would. What a bummer when you're playing uh when you're playing Blitz and all of a sudden main deck Oriok Champion. You're like, "What what?" Speaking of Blitz, both Blitz and Burn had two copies in uh the top 8 from the weekend. And then with one copy each were Living End, Jund, Death's Shadow, Hammer Time, Dredge, Mill, and Blue White Control. Yeah, and notably, Stan. Shane. I mean, Dave. Whoever. Dave. Whoever I am. The blue-white control deck had two Celestial Colonnades in it. They actually are running Celestial Colonnade and blue-white control again. Thoughts? Gross. Sometimes you just need a flying finisher. I'm going to guess they probably don't need it. <laughs> so I'm going to guess people aren't going to have it next week, but we'll see. Let's just point out, 16 decks... 
across the two top eights, 12 different strategies represented here. That's nice to see. It's, um, do you all want to talk about what you're surprised you don't see here? Because I think there were some called shots that we all had, and there's something specific that I see missing, and that's Rakdos Death Shadow. Yes. Mm. It's definitely the main thing that I, I was wondering after looking at these events last night was what happened to Rakdos? I mean, we do see, of course, is it Blitz is kind of a, a predator on that type of deck, and I don't think it has a great time against Burn, right? Like, I mean, I think Burn can have ways of, of beating Shadow decks that are losing life aggressively, of course, if you play it, if you play it well. Uh, but yeah, I think that's something that we kind of called and we didn't really see. I was... I'm a little bit surprised to also not see Tron or Eldrazi Tron in here, mainly because I thought that one of those two decks might be able to go over the top um, of some of the, the, the slower format and sort of have a comeback when they don't have to worry about the, the Uro-style decks generating so much value uh, better than they can. I mean, I think they will. We're going to have a preview of that in a little bit. I do want to say before we get off the Death Shadow topic that there were a good amount of Death Shadow decks hanging around outside of the top eights. It wasn't a huge amount, but there's at least three in the sample of 64 and maybe one more. And then the last thing I would say is the one that did make it into a top eight uh, was Michael Rapp, was the pilot of Jund Shadow. Uh, he, He did it. He came in third place in Sunday's challenge. I think that what's going on a little bit there, by the way, the reason it's basically a, they're basically Rakdos decks with Tarmogoyf in them. So they are, um, they're not really going to like the traverse package or anything like that. I think the four, the four four color decks probably are, or are, but, um, I think that they're just looking for some extra threats to play. Uh, now that there's a little bit less graveyard hate around Tarmogoyf's a little bit better. So, um, something to keep in mind that maybe if you have been on red black, you can kind of get a little bit more mid rangey and have maybe better success than you, than you might otherwise. I, I'm curious if that's one of the reasons that people either felt more comfortable bringing Dredge back or Dredge is performing a little bit better is just the natural lack of the, just a small percentage in the lack of graveyard hate can make a big difference for Dredge. So if people are saying, you know, I don't have to worry about the graveyard as much because Uro's not there and I don't have to worry about Mystic Sanctuary kind of decks quite as much and getting cards out of their graveyard, maybe I'll shave a card or two out of my board and dredge gets a few more percentage points and is able to succeed here. Do you guys want to talk about the individual top eights or should we just keep talking about this format and metagame that we're seeing? I think we should keep talking about the format. All right, cool. Is this a ship's passing in the night week and weekend? Cause everyone's just trying to go as quickly as possible with the exception of Azori's control. It's like, I mean, Blitz and Burn have interaction, sure, but like Burn doesn't want to point its Burn spells at creatures. And Blitz, I mean, what? I don't think Blitz is really preying on anything with gut shots in this field. I don't see a lot of one toughness creatures that it gets to beat up on. Yeah, it's an interesting observation, Stan, is that you're right that there's not, there's not a lot of traditional mid range showing up. Like we're not seeing uh, a, a lot of removal piles and, and generating long game value decks come out of the woodwork now that Uro's gone and they can potentially have, you know, their day in the sun again. So yeah, maybe you're right. Maybe it's just like, Hey, I'm going to do the most linear thing that I want to, or know how to do. Um, and I might pick regular burn. I might pick, is it blitz? I might pick a creature combo deck and Heliod company or hammer time or something like that. And, just get the job done. 
Why not living end? Yeah, I was going to say living end is a little bit of an indication that there's not a ton of counter spells floating around in this top eight, I would say, right? You know, it's, um, it is a pretty like uninteractive as far as uninteractive combo decks go. And living end, I think was, there was another deck that did well, or at least was in the top 32 of the other challenge. So there were two, oh, there's a, a 14th place living end and a, uh, top eight living end as well so it's interesting to see them both you know pop up in both of those samples uh so i don't know if it's ships in the night or if it's just the mid-range packages aren't ready to know what they need to carry yet so they're they don't have a leg to stand on quite yet i mean blue white control did seem to do well in this format Mm -hmm. these two tournaments and also pretty well in energy as well so i think that there's a little bit of story of pure control working okay but um we'll see i i personally feel like there is you know this is one of those things where the nuances of interaction in modern can be kind of uh small right even with decks like these there are times where you have to suddenly decide to interact with them or do different things to go off your main plan to win even with these decks so one thing we did not talk about is also the complete lack of titan i wanted to revisit that like that's something that i'm a little bit surprised to see maybe people weren't comfortable bringing it out now that they lost field of the dead or they weren't ready to go back to the kind of amulet package or what do you think yeah, there's no amulet. There is one Titan shift that made top eight. So, I mean, maybe the other Titan players just didn't make it to top 32. That's a, certainly within reason, but... And which was just another example of, you know, the sort of the, the ships passing in the night where it's like, hey, I wanna, I'm going to play my cards, I'm going to ramp, and I'm going to cast Scape Shift, and I'm going to win. Right. Which is what? Like a turn four, turn five combo deck? Maybe it's too slow against the Blitzes and the Hammer Times of, and even the Heliots of the world that can just combo out on turn three or four much more consistently. I mean, traditionally, t- Scape Shift, Titan Shift style decks have been able to play sideboard interaction yes. to slow those decks down. Yes. Yeah, they're playing like Bolts and Angers and Fries, but that slows down their combo as well. Yeah, well, why don't we take a look at a different perspective here? And take a quick detour into the the Nerd Rage Gaming series as well, because they made their data really easy to have a look at. So the Energy Championship this weekend was an 86-person event, so it was kind of a small challenge size. Um, But, you know, interesting because it might be a sort of a facsimile for in-person play here. So you might get a different crowd than you get from the Moto challenges in general. Uh, So you probably have this mix of people who are really amped and some more casual players in this one. So in 86 people, the biggest two decks at six copies apiece were, which is 7% of the field or so, were Dredge and Eldrazi Tron. So kind of different composition from the winner's bracket of what we saw at the top 32 or the top eight was a lot of people carrying dredge and a lot of people kept bringing chalice to try to um hold down blitz and burn i'd assume the next tier below that is it blitz heliod company and boros burn so that's pretty consistent with what we saw so in a lot of ways the top f- five decks here were congruous with the things that we saw in our sample um different order but still worth noting and then below that here comes the the spicy stuff three people brought mono green tron five color humans mono red prowess and titan shift so i think that this is one where there's 
definitely more big mana than what we saw in the samples that we were looking at. There's more green Tron. There's more Aldrazi Tron. There's more Titan shift. Yeah. I feel like this might be seat of the pants diagnosis, but I, I do feel like Titan shift and mono green Tron are the type of decks that a lot of people at LGSs will just have and just bring to whatever tournament they want to play because it's just like, Hey, I, I know this deck. It's easy for me to pilot. I can play it all day. And I think I have a good chance to win in this new meta. And so that's something that you might see more in kind of your, well, th- this is also, I mean, this is the kind of thing like if I was playing, if I was going to an LGS tomorrow, which of course I'm not, like I would almost guarantee I'm going to see a mono green Tron player. I almost guarantee I'm going to see, you know, a burn player, probably an Eldrazi Tron player, all beyond dredge <laughs> or, or Heliod combo. Like this is like, this is local player meta to me. Yeah, I mean, but it's interesting because this is still Magic Online. And so there's not really a reason to do local player meta because you're not you're not held to the cards that you already have, or you can rent them with a quick, you know, with there's not a lot of friction to just renting a different deck. So, I mean, I, I do think, like I said, that this is maybe a bit more casual meta than some of the, the challenges bring to the fore. And I certainly wouldn't read into this as much as I would read into the data that we got from the challenge in some ways. But also, it's kind of cool to see a lot of people just be like, I get to play my favorite deck. I'm going to play humans. It's back. I'm going to play Tron. It's back. Is that, I mean, I think that's kind of cool. I don't know how long that's going to be cool for or how long that's going to stay, but it is interesting to be like week after these bands, we go back 18 months in modern basically to what really are like the pillars, the longtime pillars of the format are here. You know, we got a company creature combo deck. We got dredge. We got Tron and Eldrazi Tron. We got humans. We got all prowess deck of some kind. We got burn. It's, you know, checking a lot of boxes for the nostalgia of the good old days of modern anyway. Yeah, I and like you, I'm curious to see if those are still viable stalwarts of the format. Because I think that's going to say a lot about what modern's gonna to need to look like in the near future and perhaps, you know, the next six months or so. Like if if Tron can't hang, if Titan Shift can't hang, if the, the meta is going to be perhaps as linear as we saw in the the top eight breakdowns where it's like, Hey, there's going to be, you're going to see a lot of lightning bolts. You're going to see a lot of you know, creature combos. You're going to see some graveyard combo or, you know, then, then what's going to happen from there. And, and, and that's what I'm hopeful about in, as we keep analyzing the meta in the next few weeks is like, Hey, does Tron keep showing up here and there is five color humans able to, to, to come back. Um, what, what are people actually playing and winning with? Yeah, well, I will say, just to close the thread on energy here, people are winning with Tron. At least Sean Ryder, who won this event, won with Tron against Blue-White Control in the finals. What? Some days Tron just spikes it. Yeah, interesting classic matchup there. One of the last things I would throw out here about the um, stuff that we saw in these all of these meta results is the now that things have been fixed the lack of impact from what I could see of Kaldheim cards in general. By my counts, there were no, I, th- I think no Kaldheim cards in any of the top eights of either challenge. Looking at the list right now, I have more time. I spent more time with the Saturday list. Bring, bring to light had Valky. But there's no, that bring to light didn't top eight either event, right? I'm talking about just the 16 decks that were in the top eights. I think there was zero Kaldheim cards in the top 16 quote unquote the notable ones were from my mind 
Valky still being as a one of in the bring to light decks. And then we have like a Beergy, a Beergy storm kind of deck yeah. as one of them, but there's not many. And I was a little surprised by that. I mean, it kind of reverts to our old prediction about what we thought would be the, the impact level of Kaldheim on modern, but not a lot of evidence of it making a big impact right now at any rate. Yeah. What happened to all those Cosimas in the control decks? Skipped them. <laughs> Decided that we were just going to play straight up old school control and Celestial Colonnade. She missed the boat. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So if Aggro remains kind of the de facto playstyle for modern, isn't that a format that should be easy to hate out? I think it's a format that is ripe to be metagamed. I don't know if I would say hate it out, because like, do you really need to hate out Blitz and Burn? Like, They're going to go away on their own, right? It's different than saying the metagame's going to warp around them, in my mind. Anyway, I could be wrong. Like, There are some people who think that Prowess is, is a warping shell, kind of. But you know, I think that regardless of whether those decks did well and they didn't win or play super high in any of the top eights they were in, they're there. And they have major blockers to their overall performance in both blue-white control, especially if blue-white control runs timely reinforcements, like I saw a few times, any deck that runs Omnath and also Heliod. So there is already kind of natural balance to the super aggro decks out there in the format without even anything coming up in the mid-range zone. What looks really unpopular right now in this metagame, to me, honestly, is Thoughtseize decks. Like Shane was talking about a minute ago, Rakdos being gone. There's not a ton of Thoughtseize in these in these decks from what I can see right now. Well, I think one of the issues is, I, don't, I mean, I don't really think you want to be a Thoughtseize deck in an, aggress- in, a, in an aggressive meta, like as aggressive as this can be. And um, I think... Humans has a particular humans. If it's as popular as it was in the NRG tournament, uh, is has been in the past pretty well suited to stop shadow decks with the number of blockers and the ability to even name certain spells with meddling mage can be really good. And I, I with as much you know, burn and is it blitz as we're seeing, man, it's pretty rough. Dredge filling the board with creatures back from the graveyard. Yeah, but Jund can change. Like a mu- traditional mid-range Jund. I mean, obviously there's no Jund anywhere here. Sorry, everybody. I think the main one that I see is a 17th place from Archaeus Dota in one of the top, uh, in one of the challenges. Um, but Jund or those mid-range dash can shift themselves to become like life gainy in the way that they play to be able to play like, you know, Kishin Finks out of the board or they can play Scavenging Ooze and like gain life. And so there are ways that they can um, rebound their, their counterbalance against burn and still run thought seeds to be able to disrupt something like Heliod. Or you could cut the black entirely and just play Ponza with Clothis and Scoos to be your main life gain engines. Totally. Yeah. So that makes sense too. And I think that might be why we saw like a little bit more Ponza style than Jund style decks has been the case for a while looks like it might continue to be the case right like red green has just been better for a while so i did have a chance to play a couple of modern leagues anything else you guys want to say about the meta before i kind of talk about what i saw no let's get into anecdotal evidence <laughs> let's draw take some tiny pieces of evidence and say that they're trends small sample size big conclusions exactly that's the name of this episode as of now right stands modern adventures 
I never saw the same deck twice. I played two leagues and a two-player queue because I had 90 play points and I wanted to get a league, another league in, and I did it. Uh, and across those 11 competitive matches, there were some similar shells, but no two actual copies of a deck. Um, I played against Esper Ghost Dad. Wow, I, that's been a minute. It's been a minute. I played against Five Color Niv, Niv to Light, uh, Dredge, Blue White Spirits, Blue White Control, Jeskai Control, Four Color Snow, which was just like Blink Dot Deck featuring Yurion. I also saw a Blue White Stone Blade, which was different from the Blue White Control deck because this was the only Stone Blade deck I saw. And then I saw just like a Mono Red Burn deck that kind of had eight Goblin Guides, essentially. Did it have Wayward Guide Beast? Yeah. In it? Yeah. Oh, wow. Okay. And then in the two-player queue, I played against Green Black Elves. In the two leagues I did, the first one was with Tron, the second one was with Ponza. So coupled with the, you know, the variety that we're seeing across the tournaments and the fact that I essentially saw a wide open meta field, a meta game, I just feel like no one is farming right now. And this is kind of the meta game that we always sort of wanted. And I just got to encounter like the fact that there was a five color bring to light deck and mono red burn in the same meta game as or as the same tournament as Esper Ghostad kind of just makes me feel like what you're pointing out in the NRG tournament, people are just playing what they want and actually seeing if their favorite decks are good again without fear of being punished by something that's just taking over right away. So that's cool. Um, yeah, that is cool. I mean, <laughs> the the results and our hypothesis from last week still makes me a little worried in the sense that like we've had a number of people on the Slack report back that they're seeing a lot of Heliod online too. And so I do wonder if that's going to shift quickly to being something that people are seeing a lot of, but we'll just have to wait and see, right? Like, I don't think that's a deck without vulner vulnerabilities. So it's just something that we'll have to keep in mind if it gets super popular. Yeah. I was going to ask, like if, if the number of lightning bolts that we're seeing and, and other uh, burn based interactive spells, if, if the number that we're seeing there is not seemingly keeping Heliod in check, what do you think the newer cards, if any of them, are, are helping this out? Stan, I know you have more experience with more recent builds of Heliod than I do. What's making this deck as good as it is right now, do you think? I mean, I think main deck Oriok Champion is really important. Uh -huh. I mean, you can always have done that, though. Do you think just because it's, it can game the meta a little bit better now? I think that's a big part of it, yeah. Like, when you're playing against board-based prowess creatures... Oriok Champion just kind of stops the game. And you really need a Sprite Dragon or um, a Stormwing Entity to kind of break that parity. And in the meantime, they can be setting up some combo and some life gain and just win. Right. Also, Ranger Captain of Aeos makes it, the control matchup tougher for the control player because you can kind of protect yourself from interaction and protect your combo with Ranger Captain. You know, with that silence effect or whatever? Exactly. Um, and also just Skyclave Apparition. I think this is a card that I'm, I'm going to want to talk about it a little bit more in the historic section, but it's, it does work in every format, just period. And I think having that main deck interaction that, you know, in some cases feeds into Heliod's devotion, but also can answer practically any problematic permanent, I think is really important for Heliod to just have a bunch of minor edges to kind of maintain control of the game until they're able to win with the combo stand practically any problematic permanent is my favorite song from my fair lady my fair lady 
I think it was in Pirates of Penzance, actually, <laughs> just to go with the alliteration. <laughs> we make a lot of musical theater jokes on here for people who I don't think really like musical theater that much. I certainly don't. Me too. All right. Last question. Do we have time for a quick Cool Dex link? Oh, yeah. Oh, please. If you didn't, I would insist. All right. Yes. So we mentioned this a couple times. I think Dave did a really nice job of kind of introducing us to it. Five color bring to light. I was paired up against this deck, and at first I thought I was playing against Niv-Mizzet because the mana base is the same. But then I never saw Niv. I saw Omnath and Teferi and Counterspells and Renin Six, and then boom, bring to light into Valky. I was really impressed with just their early control plan and then being able to eventually close the game either with an Omnath or by drawing you know, two to three cards a turn with Valky. And then, like Dave pointed out, they have this one of Scape Shift and a couple Valakits. So you can grab that with Bring to Light, or you can just have like a little extra reach damage um, if you need to close out the game, too. Yeah, I mean, this deck, I think, you know, we'll see how much of a fit it is for Modern, right? But it's certainly making waves in Pioneer, because Bring to Light is just a pretty powerful card. And Valky makes it a little better. The mana is greedy. Unlike snow decks, this isn't running a ton of basics to kind of protect yourself against Blood Moon. So I think that's one of the places where it's super vulnerable. Like a turn two Blood Moon might just shut this cold. Though though they do have Force of Negation, so sometimes they can beat it. Were you just playing uh, Ponza during your matches, or what were you playing this time? League one was Tron, League two was Ponza. Ah, right on. And this was the Tron League, so they won. (laughs) <laughs> I can't stop. I can't stop you from doing bigger things than me. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So yeah, I, I mean, whether or not bring to light Valky is a real part of a deck, I think is kind of an interesting question to keep asking because that's not what this deck is about. This is just kind of like let's accrue a ton of value where we can, and then just eventually close the game with some powerful multicolor cheated out payoff, whether that's Omnath or or Valky or Valakit. This one I saw in just league data, but I want to call it out because one of the victims of the Simeon Spirit Guide ban was Adnaz. And one of the things that we were hearing through the chitter chatter is that a lot of Adnaz players are now looking at Thassa's Oracle and Inverter of Truth as a potential modern payoff for that shell of cards that used to go into Adnaz. And one of those decks actually made it into a 5-0 deck dump, and that was four-color inverter. At the deck's core, you still have Spoils of the Vault, Angel's Grace, and Phyrexian Unlife to kind of both dig for your combo pieces and not accidentally die in the process because of Spoils. But now the deck has the heart of that old Pioneer Inverter deck with Thassa's Oracle, Inverter of Truth, as well as Jace, Wielder of Mysteries. So you can mill yourself out and insta-win that way. In fact, the deck didn't even have any copies of Ad Nauseam, just kind of all, all the other parts of the deck. I saw, I saw one of these that was running Ad Nauseam, I think as a one-of, mm-hmm. but it is interesting to see. I mean, this really is a deck that is now all in on using Thassa's Oracle or Jace Wielder of Mysteries, just like the Pioneer deck used to, to win. So whether you get rid of your deck from Inverter, whether you get rid of it from Spoils of the Vault, um, that's where it's at. And it's interesting to see that shell uh, evolve in this way, because it's not exactly the the thing that I would have thought. We knew Thassa's Oracle was important to this deck, but um, interesting 
to see all these people kind of put effort into making this good. I want it to be good. I want all those old Adnaz shells to still be worthwhile. Look, if I can't cast Angel's Grace and win, what am I doing? Why am I playing modern? That's what these players say. Angel's Grace has split second. Don't forget. It can't be countered, so. I mean, the fact that these cards are strong kind of tells me they're going to find a home eventually. Whether or not it's a Thassa deck, maybe it's something else in the future that we can't predict. But, you know, Phyrexian Unlife, Spoils of the Vault, Angel's Grace, I think are just kind of this powerful core that will or should find application eventually. So take heart, Adnos players. <laughs> Stands on your side. This may not be your darkest day. It might not be the deck you hoped to play, but it is a deck with cards you could have played a week ago. All right, here's another deck. Mono Red, Bergy Breach. It's Hollow One, but also an Underworld Breach combo deck. And it bears a lot of resemblance to Hollow One, as well as a deck that we mentioned in passing on one episode a long time ago. But here we have four Flameblade Adept, four of the new Bergy. Four Hollow One and three Ox of Agonis. Following me so far? Good. Yep. Four Burning Inquiry, four Goblin Lore. Remember those cards? Yep. They're back. I paid, what, $20 a piece for Goblin Lore or yeah, something like that? I don't like want to that? talk about... I, ha- I, can't, I would like this deck to be Tier 1 again because I still have four extra Goblin Lore. I have eight. Do you also have four Lava Dart, Lightning Bolt, Grape Shots, and Mishra's Bobble? Oh, yeah. Mm. Who doesn't? That's what I'm talking about. And then finally, for Underworld Breach, uh, essentially to get a storm chain going. So someone mentioned this on Twitter once upon a time, but with Breach and uh, these looting spells, Burning Curry and Goblin Lore, you basically just draw through your whole deck. And Bergy also makes it possible for you to have enough mana to do that. So that eventually you go through your entire deck, and then you can probably just storm off and kill them, your opponent, with Grape Shot. Whereas the Hollow Ones and these Flameblade Adepts and and Oxen, I think are actually your plan B. Sounds about right. I mean, it's the non-broken way for you to win, but you can attack people with giant Flameblade Adepts. I've done it. I've done it with Hollow One before, and uh, it happens. But yeah, I think you want to Grape Shot people with this deck. Flameblade Adept does have Menace, so hard to block. Yeah. Also, Lightning Bolt is in this deck. I think that card's pretty good. Love it. All right, last deck I want to mention from Cool Decks Inc. This one did appear in the challenges, and that was Five Color Soul Flare. No. Yeah. Grizzly Salvage made it into a modern challenge. I'm not going to read them all. I'm just going to tell you there were 27 creatures in this deck, as well as four Grizzly Salvage and four Gather the Pack. Kind of like a little rule of eight going on between those two. Does, does anything, what's the difference between this and the Pioneer version of this deck, Stan? Probably Grizzly Salvage. No, that's no, that's legal. That's legal. Yeah, F- Fetch Lands. That's RTR, right? Yeah, it's 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 Pyre legal. It's Birds of Paradise in Pioneer. No, but you do have eight Elves in Pioneer. I don't know, man. It's Drogskull Reaver, maybe. <laughs> Drogskull Reaver is not legal. That's right. Yeah, it's not All very right. many things make it different. That's for sure. Right. It, it's the mana and it's Drogskull Reaver. Of course, Soul Flare is, is with its best friend, Satalpa Primal Dawn. I don't know. This deck is just silly, wild monstrosity, but I respect the fact that someone had a dia, an idea and got into the top 32 of a modern challenge. Shane, remember when we almost made a day two of a sealed, uh, sealed Grand Prix, but the people that we were playing ripped a, uh, 
what is it, Rip Draw Raptor or whatever to kill our teammates as a Talpa Primal Dawn in Sealed on the last turn before we killed them. Oh, that was that was such a good way to end the day, although I would have preferred to have won. How close. Bad Beats. Everyone loves a Bad Beats story. Yep, especially a limited one on a modern podcast. From like four years ago. <laughs> yeah. So that's Perfect. modern. That's modern. It's diverse. It's aggressive. Have fun while you can. So, Shane, next time you play Modern, yeah, what are you thinking about playing? Humans? Yeah, here's what I think. I think humans benefits from knowing the meta. And perhaps I could say with what we're seeing that I, I might have a good idea. But leagues, you never know what you're going to get. Leagues are much different than, I think, the big tournaments. I probably will honestly play Tron for a couple of reasons. One, I want to see if my, my, my Russian investment in Tron... Is, is still okay. Like, I'm going to be happy to play Tron again in the future. And two, uh, I, th- I still think it's good. I still like it. It's still fun. Um, I like putting together, I mean, especially with, you know, the London Mulligan still does add so much to that deck strategy. I probably would also play Dredge, but I was telling Stan this today. I don't love playing Dredge online, even though it's easier to play online because it kind of, like, it, it feels like the deck it, it is, which is, sometimes pretty random and when you like just sort of mill that many cards all at once it sort of reveals the randomness faster than i want where it's like okay what did this stink we did hemp what, what did this dredge hit what did this dredge hit when like when i'm doing it in paper the physical manipulation of the cards is so much more fun for me like mm-hmm. i love sort of like putting the lands away i like putting the non-dredgeable type spells and you know non-flashbackable spells and it makes it makes a fast deck slower and still be fun at like a local game store where fair decks still rule the roost more often than they should. But yeah, anyway, I probably like, I probably would play dredge just to test it out again, or I'd probably just play green Tron. Mm-hmm. And I think they'd be fine. Dave, you're just playing if not good. Dave, you're just playing prowess. It's a tough question. Like when I, I th- most likely yes, but with so much Heliod around, it makes me a little more gun shy to do that just because I don't think it's very good. It's not quite fast enough to stop Heliod from happening or buying enough time before it happens. Um, I'm pretty interested in seeing what shadow deck is right, because I do think that with Heliod around and, um, you know, being able to take somebody's pieces with Thoughtseize is pretty powerful. Even though there's a lot of aggro, you can, you can kind of play around that or play smartly. So I wonder if there is, if that's the place to be when i was looking at this i was thinking that that's how i would start but you know i love blue red prowess and so there's i'm very likely to just try that out and see how bad the heliod uh saturation is before going further i mean i didn't see a single heliod deck across 11 matches which i think helps echo shane's point that leagues are a total grab bag but i i think that's also this moment in modern we get to play in a little bit of a grab bag format all right should we go on to historic? Should we go on to the next next format? Please. Okay. So you know we want to talk about historic next. Um, because Uro leaving the format last week was huge. And I will say that I think that it's kind of lived up to the hype of at least from my like anecdotal playing over the last week. Um, I haven't seen any Uro. So yeah, it's you know, weird. It's weird. It's just gone completely. Um I think that it has changed 
the types of decks I'm seeing and the number of decks I've seen personally. So I'll be curious to see what mm-hmm. everybody else has to say. The one thing that we should always caveat when we talk about with historic is that data is really hard to come by when it comes from historic. And so what I think we have right now, the best source that we have to look at right now is untapped tier data and their kind of data that they make available around the play that their own players report. Now it is like a certain segment of the meta to certain type of player. Um, but they have added some new features lately that let you kind of play around with data, see the evolution of things over time in both win rate and popularity. And so, you know, if you play historic and you have not checked out, out untapped, I still think it's really great. Go and have a look because that's what we're going to use to evaluate the meta this time. And of course, since the bands, the amount of data has been kind of low because it hasn't been that many days. But still, I thought there were some interesting things that I saw that I would love to take people through. Anybody have any thoughts before I dive into the historic meta that I saw on Untapped? Now, I'm curious what you're going to say here. I mean, I've seen the notes, but I'm curious what you're going to say here compared to like kind of what my what my seat of the pants, like my my butt dino in the car speak. Uh, what I felt like I was seeing a lot more of when I was playing on the ladder. Yeah. I mean, I think the one thing that was interesting is that to start off the top, there wasn't anything that was from the data that I saw on untapped, like a huge arrow up next to it in the amount of time, um, the amount of stuff that we're seeing over the last couple of weeks. But there were some things that I think are significant enough in the sense that they went up four or five percentage points, um, of popularity kind of. So it's tough to know what that's going to feel like. But one of the things that I wanted to talk about first was just so you know, I'm going to quickly talk about best of three in historic since the bands from bronze to mythic, because that's really the only way to get a big enough sample size to get data that is meaningful or interesting. And so the, the, the selection of decks is pretty broad because we're including all the way down to the bottom of the ladder in it. One thing that was super interesting to me, to me, the number one thing that stood out when I was looking the other day was that the most successful deck when I was looking at the sample on Sunday night was Orzov Oras, which had a, above a 60% win rate already and seemed to rise up to a full 67% win rate sustained over the next week. But it hasn't really moved the needle on its popularity at all. It's weird when you when you remove the primary sweeper deck in the format that an Aura's deck would be better. Yeah, but here's the thing. It's not better. It's it's I mean it is somewhat better, but it was already like the top deck. Yeah. And it's just stayed the top deck. But there apparently is nothing that will keep that will get people in more than like 4% of the meta to play it. But Which is wild cuz it's it's yeah. like such a it's such a ladder deck. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like it's 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 fast it's powerful and it it's it's the kind of thing that you would want to play a hundred matches with because you're gonna win sixty of them and do it expediently. Yeah. Now I here, you know, behind the curtain here, I've yeah, my love for blue white auras has been well known on the show. And uh I have tried to play the black white auras deck and I find it supremely confounding. I don't understand how it wins more than the blue white deck. I don't get why it's more popular than the blue white deck totally. I lose with it a lot. Um I'm probably playing it wrong. People but, love casting thoughts these, Dave. Yeah, a lot of these cards don't do much in it. But I get 
the idea of having a lot of cards that are really powerfully protecting your spells. And cards like um, the the Kaya's card that I forget that you is an aura that when a card leaves the battlefield, it comes back and, and things like that. So anyway, Auras of Auras, if you liked it, apparently you can keep playing it. Uh, stay tuned to see if there's more there. Uh, Gruul is still the most popular deck by Metashare in the sample from what I saw since the band. So it was the most popular going into the bands. It went from 14% according to untapped on the day that the bands happened all the way down to 9% though. So there was, has been a consolidation in the metagame or at least like a tightening of it. A lot of decks have moved together in the amount of play that they've had, but it's not uh, great. And it's win rate is declining a little bit. It's kind of towards the middle of the pack and it's been hovering right around the mid high fifties in win percentage, which is sort of low for untapped. All of the win percentages in untapped are above 50%, which is something I think you should keep in mind because the player caliber is so high. I think on people who bother to download one of these things, they tend to be people who win a lot. Yeah, I would say so. Shane, Gruel's your deck. You want to give any takes on Gruel while we're here? Gruel's, the the, the performance of Gruel's a thing that confounds me a little bit because the main thing that... eats gruel alive is any kind of life gain or or is also has life gain and the ability to, to make threats that gruel cannot push through very well and so when or when orzov or as or uh azorius or gets you know a large vigilance creature especially one that has life gain on it you're in bad shape the there's you know some other life gain decks that I'm sure we'll talk about uh, making uh, a comeback here. It's an extremely that, notable one that we will talk about. Yes, and that might be that's also almost certainly hurting Gruul's uh, success. But what's weird is some of the decks that I think were being pushed out of the meta because of Uro's presence don't have a particularly amazing matchup against Gruul. So this could just be the fact that hey, this is the most popular deck. People are going to begin to meta game against it a little bit more. That's certainly possible. It just could be some variance in the the fact that you know when when the meta does shift and people pay attention to the meta, we're going to see shifts of you know two, three, four percent, and this could just be a low time for gruel. We've seen it in the past, and we might see it uh, happen right now as people are focusing on uh, the new hotness of some of these life gain strategies. I do wonder if gruel player gruel players just have been a little slow to adapt to the changing format. I don't take notes of about every matchup I see, but every once in a while I'll bump into a gruel deck that just will run out lightning strikes or other creatures that I've like never heard of. And I wonder if the secret is because gruel might not be able to keep up on the aggressive axis. Maybe it needs to go more mid-range. Maybe it needs to go more aggressive potentially and try to get even lower to the ground. Because I think one of the things that's been holding gruel back in my hands as well, trying to play the deck over the last few weeks, is that my creatures are getting outclassed or I'm running into more sweeper-based control strategies as well, which I think is something else that gruel can struggle against. Yeah, that's that's valid. I think, you know, it's... A, a four mana or five mana sweeper effect in a control deck, and those were the decks that were getting pushed out of the meta that I mentioned before uh, with the Uro mid-range strategies. If they're able to make a comeback, Gruul does have a hard time recovering from that versus like an extinction event where you still might have a few creatures on the board mm-hmm. and those are going to contribute towards casting an Embercleave again more quickly or uh, just getting a few more chips of damage in that 
when you cast your four mana sweeper and your opponent still has two creatures, that's not exactly where you want to be. But if you're casting a Settle the Wreckage or a, a Doom Scar or whatever and you're clearing the board, then the you know the Gruel opponent is much less happy than when they even have you know two Burning Tree emissaries left or something like that. Yeah, I will say while we're here for a minute quickly, Azorius control has gone up a little bit in the meta share. Before the bands, it was around seven percent, six percent. Now it's around eight percent. It's around the kind of high sevens. It's kind of decaying back down to being where it was before. However, its win rate is going up, where it was at the low fifties, and now it's kind of above. 55 and kind of on a little bit of an uptick. So another deck worth, worth noticing. And and if you feel like it has something to do with Gruul kind of declining slightly in win percentage, maybe, maybe those are slightly related factors in some ways. It takes small changes in percentage points of what people are playing and how people are building their decks to then cause another deck to have a, you know, a small percentage in its win rate go down. That's just kind of how... I think this naturally happens, and I'm not too surprised to see it. I'm a little disappointed to see it, and I have felt that, you know, Gruel. I, I definitely went in after playing a few games post-Euro ban. I was like, I need to change my deck a little bit. I'm living in an Euro world. Yes. Like, do, do I? But a lot of what I was living in, in terms of the Euro world, I had to reassess and say, does this still make sense in a sacrifice world? Does it make sense in a life gain world? And a lot of those tools are the same, but I think where you play them in your main 60 or in your sideboard, it makes a difference. Like, are we in a world where we are doing like what Autumn Burchett did and have some main deck for Asadons? Because we want to be able to fight the the power of life gain and also it's nice to be able to if it's a single auras creature to have menace to get around that or they can't block it maybe that's enough so i think there's there's definitely some if you're a gruel player if you think your deck was fine how it is take a good look at it and be like okay what's the meta that i'm actually existing in and are these the right tools yeah yeah Sometimes I feel like that's hard to do in historic and arena because of the economy and also because of the way data is shared and collected. It's so different from other formats because we don't have these frequent premiere events where you have a lot of format masters kind of, uh, you know, meeting up basically every week in, in, droves to kind of innovate and metagame one another it's hard to kind of keep up with those innovations and experimenting is really hard when you have wild cards in the line too so i think that maybe can contribute to why a deck will sometimes decline a little bit in its performance before we're able to see innovations because you know someone manages to to figure it out speaking of wild cards and innovations dave can you talk about these selesnia decks yes (laughs) Before we do that, can we talk about the other deck that we thought was going to be really good in this metagame, oh, which is Sacrifice? Yeah. Oh, Man. sure. I had such a smooth lead-in, Dave. <laughs> you did, but I got to pull you back because we talked a lot about last week about how we were worried about how Sacrifice was going to just dominate the format. And I just wanted to give a little update on how that deck is actually looking right now. So, before going into the bands, Jund Sacrifice and Rakdos Sacrifice, the two different builds of the deck... John Sacrifice is at 4.5% of the meta. Racto Sacrifice is at 3% of the meta. Post-bands, Racto Sacrifice, 
2.6% in the meta. Basically the same. It's hovering right around high twos, low threes in meta share. However, John Sacrifice goes from 4.8% to 7.0%. So it gains 3% meta share in that time and also goes up in win rate by a full percentage point takes a little dip about a week ago and then is popping or a couple of days ago, according to the data and is popping back up. So what's happened is John sacrifice has gone from a high fifties deck to a low sixties deck while Rakdos is actually kind of the reverse where it was high sixties or low sixties. And it's going to a high fifties right now. The last couple of days in particular have been not good for Rakdos sacrifice compared to what was going on the other day. They're both around 60% still. But the thing that was the most interesting to me was see to see so many people hop over to John sacrifice as just part of the meta. Now it doesn't, I mean, it doesn't surprise me because if you're a Simic mid range player, what else are you going to go to besides potentially uh Rakdos Arcanist, but you're likely going to be like, what's the other best controlling mid rangey, kind of strategy and and Jun Sack has been that. So I'm not too surprised. Yeah. And worth noting while we're talking about this, that Rakdos Arcanist has popped up. It is staying steady at around 7% of the meta. So it's more popular than either one of these decks right now. It's staying more popular than these decks, but its win percentage is actually lower than either of the sacrifice decks right now. So I would actually like the way that I would think about this is that Orzhov Oris is good holding steady. Gruel is a li- on a tiny decline, but sort of holding steady. Sacrifice, Jun Sacrifice is going up. Rakdos is going slightly down. And Arcanist, surprisingly to me, seems to be going down a very small amount in the wake of the, the meta. Although I played that deck a few times the last few days. Boy, what an obnoxious deck uh, Rakdos Arcanist is. I'll tell you why it's going down. It's because... It's the most fun deck to lose with. Win, win, lose, or draw, playing Arcanist is always a blast. You get to cast so many spells, do all these little tricks, sacking tokens to make more tokens, to draw cards, to throw tokens at your opponent, stealing your opponent, make a token, sack your opponent's creature to kill their other creature two for one with a claim and a spark (laughs) harvest. You've made some tokens along the way. (laughs) It's true. And then yeah, and, and then they just kill you because you run you kind of like run out of the gas and and your, and your creatures are all like the creatures are all like one X's. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Brutal. All right. Last two little cards before we get on to new ones. Mono Red Goblins and Sultai. There is no Sultai deck right now. Um a little bit to my surprise. I thought there would be some people trying to make something work there still. I, I there's no like notable kind of sample of that at the moment. Um and then Goblins. Goblins is on the way down still. Goblins win rate is decaying all the way to the low 50s, which is, again, low for samples like these um, in general and kind of surprising, but maybe those moments are kind of over. Goblins is not great. Goblins is, I think Goblins might just be bad and it has to get really lucky to, to win from flipping a coin. The only good card in Goblins is Krenko. And the reason Muxus is good is because sometimes it cheats out a Cranko that can like take over the game right there. But your Muxus sometimes it whiffs, but like if your Muxus doesn't hit Cranko but even hits any other creatures, it can feel like a huge letdown. I'm I'm pretty fully of the opinion that Goblins players, if they haven't already, should just fully adopt being that like seven the four mana that casts a seven mana spell. Iron um, Crag feet. Yeah, I should just be an Iron Crag feet 
Muxus combo deck at this point because that is one way to really get out ahead and just sort of own the fact that you are a, a Muxus combo deck. But, I mean, you know, don't take my word for it. I mean, Shane, this is literally a deck that you would never play, would never want to play, and we will take uh, yeah, your deck building advice you're probably close right. to heart. All right. Okay, so we there we do have developments for two new decks that I think are super important to talk about in Historic. The first one, Shane clumsily tried to get me to talk about a couple of minutes ago. And should have taken is, the bait. I should have, but I really wanted to talk about Sacrifice. Um, Selesnia. So I posited last week that Selesnia, like pork and taxes style builds, would be something that would be popular in this new meta because they're good against sacrifice, because life gain can be good against certain types of decks, though there is, there's only incidental life gain in, in that, that deck, and uh, that it would be good because it's slightly bigger than Gruel. And what happened going into the bands is that Selesnia Company actually went down in metal sh- in meta share it's four percent it went down to around three it's back up to four it's trending up um but that deck is holding steady right at around 60 percent right now in win rate so it's actually doing pretty well in the meta compared to most other decks and i would say that it's a solid choice right now based on the, the data that we're seeing over the last 10 days or so um however who can tell me about the new hotness this weird but apparently super powerful Celestia angels deck the coco angels tribal our patron uh, joe cheney certainly can because apparently he's been hanging around in the high hundreds i guess i mean whatever like whatever 300 ish 500 ish i think he was at 200 ish earlier today even so props to joe for one uh calling this deck, I think, pretty well, and also doing quite well with it, even in uh, fairly high masters. And this is basically built around like a Soul Sisters type of core, and you may have seen decks like this that have been mono-white, or other decks that are like Selesnia, and it wants to gain life and get triggers, and stack a lot of triggers and make stuff happen on the battlefield, but this deck has really good payoffs in the Angel Tribal theme. And of course, being Selesnia, you get access to Coco, which lets you. It's an important thing that people, I think, sometimes underappreciate about Coco is that it's not just instant speed card advantage. It is uh, instant speed card advantage and creature selection for your combo strategy. So if you need certain pieces, if you need to find that Bishop of Wings, that two drop, that, you know, when an angel ETBs, you gain four life. And then gaining life makes other things happen, like maybe a Heliod Suncrowned triggers or Angel of Vitality gets you another uh, bit of life instead of just the life that you gained. It gets you one more. And then it becomes a three mana four four with flying. And that's sweet. Um, If you gain five or more life this turn with Resplendent Angel, just a three mana flying three three. If you gained five or more life in a turn, you get to just a free 4-4 white angel token with flying and vigilance. And Respondent Angel can just pump itself with its act, with its uh, you know activated ability. Yeah, that's what those are called. Yep. So, so just a lot of good stuff working in concerts that one has evasion built into almost all of the cards, whether it's some kind of uh, 
flying or vigilance and lifelink or indestructibility with Heliod, all ways that your creatures can do what you want them to be doing, which is attacking in the end, while also protecting you and putting your life total extremely out of reach. Yeah, and when we say extremely, we've seen screenshots of people at like 250 life playing this deck, you know, like really, really wild, outsized things that you would never keep track of if you were playing this in paper. Yeah, the triggers, this is trigger tribal. Like, once it gets its engine going, it's just popping off every turn, producing so many bodies, generating so much life. The creatures are growing constantly because of Heliod or uh, other triggers in addition to Heliod. And then Coco, card advantage, card selection, and mana advantage too. So sometimes it's like the best Iron Crag feat ever because you find the cards you want um, and then you get them at a discount. Also, one more card that we haven't mentioned is Skyclave Apparition. It now has Devotion for Heliod as well as... Uh, interaction for some of the problematic stuff that opponents might cast, which is like fl- Flicker Wisp, can kind of shut this whole deck down. Yeah, or any kind of life gain, life gain preventing creature. Like, well, you know, cool Ferocidon, <laughs> or or cool Roiling Vortex, or whatever that's called, where it's like, you, you know, whatever kind of permanent you have, I got it now. It's mine. Yeah, and you're never getting seeing, it back. Yes, and we're seeing iterations of this deck too that start to include blue to be able to cast glass pool mimic and and other things as they're trying to like meta against each other or meta against decks that really harm them uh with a little bit of light counter magic i will say this sounds like angel tribal sounds like the most weird like casual kitchen table kind of deck ever the reason i i mean the angels themselves are really powerful in this deck and they're really aggressively costed. Like there's no, there's no five drops in this deck. This deck is three drops with flying. That's exactly what I was going to get at is like, you know, this is not your five mana angel EDH deck type thing. This is, this is, these are efficient creatures with very good abilities when they're working together like this. Yeah. And the other thing I would say is it's really held together by this suite of low mana cost angel payoffs that there are or or kind of like setup cards that are low cmc like soul warden of course is one which is just an excellent card that you know it it's a classic card that ends up in shells like this all the time but speaker of the heavens and bishop of wings are both things that really pay you off for gaining life or for having angels come into play and they have really powerful triggers at one mana and two mana. And so you get to do all this extra stuff with just one angel. If you've managed to set yourself up a little bit and kind of like ease your way into when you're getting even more. So I've definitely played against this deck a few times. It can be really obnoxious. The meta data on, for what it's worth on untapped right now says that when the bands hit Selesnya company was, was much more popular than angels. And then as soon as the bands hit, Angels goes from one and a half percent of the metagame to six percent of the metagame on the day of the bans. So it goes four times as many people pick up the deck. Uh, for reference, that's you know double the number of around the same number of people as we're playing Azoria's Control, a um, little less than stuff like Oractos Arcanist. But ever since the bans have happened, the number of people playing Selesnya Angels is moving down, 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 and it's much closer to four percent or three percent right now. On the flip side, that win rate is holding for Celestia Angels at around 60% at 
as well. So it's another one that I think is towards the kind of like middle top tier of decks in historic as far as just win rate goes in untapped data. I cannot imagine spending the number of wilds required to craft this deck and then not playing it as just long as possible. <laughs> it's it's yeah. it's an absurd amount. Of, I think for me it's like some it's like forty. So and I have a decent collection. For what it's worth, I'm look. I happen to be looking at Untapped right now because I'm looking at the data. Uh, I would need 24 rares, uh, 12 mythics, and four commons, four uncommons to be able to play the deck. So it's not that bad for me to to move over into this if I wanted to. 15 okay. rares, nine mythics. Yep. So angels. 19. 19 and nine for this guy. That's reasonable. That's a Saturday night for you. Put some money into Extola and make it happen. <laughs> we know you want to play Angels Tribal. My, my favorite payment broker. Yep. Extola. Get at us, Extola. Sponsor our podcast, Extola. Another reference for the 40-year-olds. Um, okay. Dude, that's, that, that's the receipt you get from Arena. Oh, yeah. You're right. That Extola. I knew it sounded familiar. Yeah, what, what did you think we were talking about? Something from the 90s? I don't know, like a Zima knockoff, some <laughs> some lemonade for adults. Early Justin Timberlake albums. Adult juice box brands. Zip drive competitor. I do think that Angels is one of the reasons why Gruel is having a hard time, because this is an example of the creatures just outclass other creature decks. Not only because of the life gain, but they're just they get huge and it goes wide to the point that uh, questing beasts can be blocked, and also Embercleave doesn't necessarily push through much of any damage. Yeah, dude, Gruul has no chance against this deck. I mean, I mean, the win rate has to be like ten percent, and that's because like the the opponent stumbled, like they kept two lands or something like that, and never drew a third. I can see Angels kind of remaining at the top until. Or, you know, remaining among the top decks, at least until Control gets more popular, because Control is one of the decks that's good against this. It's very weak to sweepers. I don't think it, like, barely, if ever, runs Heroic Intervention, so there's just not a lot of ways to recover if you commit to the board and then someone wraths you. Um, but otherwise, I just feel like Celestia Angels could be the one of the new aggro premier decks of the format until something changes or the format shifts for other reasons because new cards get added or something is banned or unbanned unsuspended yeah i will say it has that unique combination that spirits kind of has where you get to now spirits doesn't have the life gain part of it spirits has a different game plan but you get to go wide and you get to go flying with angels and that is an interesting combination when you can do that because you can kind of switch uh, plans and also it makes it hard to have people attack back into you because your your uh, creatures can block anything. All right, we got one more deck to talk about in historic, and that is Stan. Stan, I, I can't. The font is so small, I can't see it. Try again. It is Golgari Elves. Wait, what did you say? Golgari Elves. Elves. Stan. Elves. Who? Who? Your token. They don't they come in Golgari flavor? They do. Once again, we're playing we're playing with that kind of middle space between having elves that are green and elves that are green black. So I guess they're eve elves or something. But uh, look, so another deck that has really caught my eye and I think had a lot of people playing it since the ban is uh, elves. Now I will say the data from Untapped indicates that it's been around three percent of the meta the whole time. So maybe there's just a little bit of an uptick going on, or or maybe it's just doing better suddenly. But basically, it's Elves Tribal, and it's a really familiar game plan to anybody who has ever played 
an Elves Tribal deck or lost a one either in modern or any other format where, you know, you ramp into, uh, you play some ramp elves, then you play some lords or some payoff elves, you make some tokens, and then you all of a sudden have a giant army of six sixes. And that's just kind of the game plan. Am I wrong, Stan? You're not wrong, Dave. You don't have a lot of ramp for what it's worth. You just have four Lanor elves and that's it. It does run sometimes that new Jaspara Sentinel, but that's not your traditional ramp because it doesn't get you to turn three to three mana on turn two, mm-hmm. but it can help you make an extra mana on turn two. It's 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 a little clunky, serviceable, but not fantastic. But otherwise you're dead on. Make tokens, make them bigger, swing. This deck got me to diamond. Great job. I did it. I was I was middling in platinum, just yo-yoing back and forth. And then one day, um, I don't know why, but I decided to spend the last one of my rares, just totally cashed out of my wild cards and built elves because I figured if anyone's got going to do it, it should be me. And then I just started climbing. Like I couldn't be stopped. Um, and I think this deck is insane. I think this deck might be the best version of elves outside of Legacy. Because wow. compared to Modern, it doesn't have to deal with things like Plague Engineer, Lava Dart, or Renin Six, which are three cards that I think really prey on elves in that format. It also has more powerful elves than what Pioneer has access to because it has Elvish Archdruid, Deperius Perfect, and Allosaurus Shepherd, which yeah. are additional ways to make lords. Shepherd is a way is like a huge payoff that is also good against control because it shuts down counter spells and then archdruid just produces an insane amount of mana yeah i mean shepherd's not even available in in modern it's worth noting where it right. would be hugely powerful in modern uh, if you could do it but you get it here and having archdruid is a huge payoff yeah insane especially if you can get it down on turn two and then on turn three start making lots of tokens because the thing that happened concurrently with the uro ban was the introduction of some very powerful new elves from kaldheim which are war marshal which is one of the ways that you're able to produce an insane amount of tokens as well as realm walker war master by the way not war marshal elvish war master oh thank you yeah so war master makes insane amount of tokens realm walker also gets you a ton of card advantage so it's like extra copies of coco and you don't have to run something like lead the stampede and finally scamfar avenger makes your deck actually kind of recoverable against control strategies with wraths because every time a non-token elf dies while avengers on the board you draw a card yeah it's the only black creature in the deck right it's golgari but this card is so important that it's worth extending into golgari main deck for it what else do you want to know? Deck is great. I played against this deck a couple of times the other night and was super impressed by it. It's absurd how fast it can make a bunch of five fives. Like oh, yeah. It was just like, holy cow, five fives everywhere. Again, it's five fives again. Um, Stan, do you remember when I told you that you might like Elvish Warmaster and you were like, I wouldn't play this card? I don't remember that, but I mm. I am sometimes condescending that way. Yeah, I know. <laughs> So this is a little bit like Angels in that it makes creatures really big and it goes wide, except it's on the ground. Um, I think Angels is still favored because they're able to gain so much life, but there are certain games where you're able to produce so much mana with your Archdruid that you can like do several Warmaster activations to do a bunch of plus twos and Death Touch, as well as uh, Allosaurus Shepherd activations. So your creature's getting like plus seven and death touch and there's 20 of them so sometimes that'll help beat an opponent that's at 60 life but otherwise this is one of the other reasons why i think gruel might be suffering is because gruel just can't keep up with a board full of fives and sixes yeah it's kind of tough 
It's kind of tough. Also, because Gruul's ability to run interaction is not super great. Or or the, the stubbornness of Gruul pilots to not run much interaction as well. Well, if there's one thing we know about you and you Gruul pirates, pilots, Shane, it's the stubbornness. Speaking of stubbornness, Dave, I'm looking at some of this art. And if you had to cosplay as as either Elvish Warmaster or Elvish Archdruid, who do you... <laughs> What, what do which you one am I le- more legit? Why, yeah, which, why is that speaking of stubbornness? Well, I think Elvis Warmaster looks stubborn to me. That's what yeah, I, 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 I think I would have to be Warmaster because I'm just not as wrinkled as an Archdruid yet. Although I, I imagine Archdruid is short. I imagine he's short. And so that and would Stan, be me. Stan could be Marwin. Oh, yeah. It looks good. It's a good look. So if you haven't paid attention to these decks, pay attention to them. You're going to see them. It seems like we're seeing them more right now, and um, they're both good. And so be ready to have some kind of plan against decks like this because they seem to be getting more popular. Now, I, I, the last thing I wanted to say here was just, you know, all of this data that we were talking about, I know it was a lot of percentages. You know I love my percentages. It all came from the meta, meta page on untapped.gg. I think almost this alone is worth the premium access if you don't even need premium access. I'm not sure if you need premium access to see this or not. I don't think you do. It's awesome data to just go in and play with, turn on turn on and off charts. You know, we get a tiny kickback if you go to untap.thedivedown.com and download the software. Honestly, we'd be talking about it without that. It's just a fun tool to be able to see what's going on in historic. I would suggest checking it out if you haven't in the past. All right. Historic. What what should we be playing, do you think? Don't play any of the decks I've been trying to play the last week, because I will tell you, I was one win away from Diamond, and now I'm in Plat 3. Because uh, the, I was, That's the worst feeling. Yeah, it was pretty bad. I had a bad streak on, on Saturday night where I was playing Auras and Mono Blue and Sac, and I even tried Mono Green Plane, Planeswalkers because I wanted to try a Nissa deck. It all felt like I couldn't beat anything. A number of times I ran into things like... Uh, like angels and elves, as we just described. But, um, you know, I think that I'm going to have to stick with trying to learn how to play Orzov Auras because I still feel like that's I mean, it's a deck I have. It's a deck I have experience with piloting things like. I just have to shift my mind to be able to play that deck. I've seen so many people on Twitter be like, this deck is just so good and so consistent that I- I'm clearly missing something. So I'm going to have to go back to the woodshed and figure out what I'm doing wrong with it. Probably some just small tweaks to the way that you're thinking about sequencing and that kind of stuff. So you can get there. So that's what I'm looking at. I, I will keep trying to, I might finish crafting Jund sack to you just because yeah, I have it. I was going to say, go there. That's, that's what I want to be playing honestly right now. Um, but yeah, it's just like, I don't need to, I have decks that are close to the win percentage. Yeah. The only thing I would say about sack is that if these wide decks get prevalent, it's, it's quite a bit worse against elves and angels. I played against a really cool mono white weenie deck that used the, um, what's this card called? It is called Usher of the Fallen from Kaldheim. That's a two one for one that has one W boast and it makes a token. Good. What good one drop. It's actually pretty good. Like this deck had faceless Haven, selfless savior, Luminarch aspirant, Thalia, a lot of those cards are cards from the standard version of this deck right now, but it felt powerful enough, and it certainly put a stop sign down for Sacrifice. So if there are a lot of go-wide decks, I do worry about being able to play Sack in that meta. So that's part of the reason I'm thinking about 
something more like auras there or even why I tried planeswalkers, but planeswalkers was just like not the right place to be. No. Um, before we get out of historic, I do want to say I've been, te- I've been actually messing around in standard a little bit because mono red is good in standard. And I had like 90% of the cards. Faceless Haven is a legitimate card. Yeah. Like very I, legitimate. I was telling you guys a couple weeks ago, I've been playing it in mono blue. Uh, yeah. Tempo. It's so efficient at what it does. Yeah. It's also cool. Like what's crazy is like every once in a while you untap and attack with it and you're like, Oh, this is a rogue. <laughs> like oh, my, uh, my robber of the rich card that I exiled three turns ago is now castable. I forgot. That's really funny. Why do you think it's better than the, the one from Zendikar, the, the claws? Cause it's cheaper. It's cheaper and bigger. One, one che- Well, crawling barons gets huge. It gets huge, but you don't need it to get huge. You need it to be. You need it to cost three and hit for four. You need to just hit like one time on your alpha strike turn. It's like you just need the extra creature here and there to do it. And um, yeah, I think it's really good in the white. The white shells. Uh, it's been okay in blue. There's a lot of blue pips in the blue deck, so it's a little harder to play with. But I still feel felt like it was just kind of like running it for value. It was definitely better than like running a one of Castle Vantress in that deck. So yeah, it rules. I wouldn't be surprised if Snow decks can push their way into historic for that to be a major player in those decks. Yeah. They're, they're not really snow decks though. Right? Like these are not, there's not other snow payoffs. It's just like a You're mono. Right. It's, it's, just, it's, it's, it's yeah, it's beautiful. White, white and red. Yeah. And, and then, I mean, red does get the, uh, the snow, like super shock type thing, um, which is advantageous against the creature meta, but that's really about it. So I, I totally agree. It's a card that I, I don't know if it has the right shell in Historic yet, but I feel like it's a card you should consider and keep an eye on. All right. Can we head into Pioneer? Yes. I, I, I can't I, believe I, we're going to talk about Pioneer. I'm thrilled. Okay. Me too. Okay. Don't, do not turn off the podcast. Okay. You, you, <laughs> may be tempt, you may be tempted to be like, okay, these gentlemen have ranted for an hour and 20-ish so far. I'm fine ending this right now. I don't need to hear this Pioneer segment. I am here to try to encourage you and revitalize whatever interest in Pioneer you had. Because I think Pioneer is good. That's, that's, my, that's my preamble. Come back to Pioneer with Shane Beeps. <laughs> that's, my, that's my new uh, TED Talk. Is anyone else picturing the Bernie Sanders meme where it's I am once, once again, again asking, asking you. you to pay attention to Pioneer. Yeah. I mean, you may remember I tried this thing like six months ago after the Pioneer bans, and we, we were like, maybe Pioneer is good again. But I think Pioneer might be actually really good again if you like the kind of decks that Pioneer supports well. And we'll talk about those right now. So we've been ignoring Pioneer for a while, and for perhaps good reason. But I think the recent bannings of Oops All Spells, Wilderness Reclamation decks, Uro Piles, and Teferi Time Rambler are kind of going along for the ride. We have new Pioneer to explore, so might as well. And I played some Pioneer for the first time in a while to try to get a feel for the new format, see what's going on. We also have a double challenge metagame breakdown so we can see what this new meta is starting to look like. And yeah, let's start with the challenges. I want to do kind of like a, a full format meta breakdown, and then we'll head into the top eights. Maybe we'll skip those for time, but you know, you wait and see. And then we can talk about some cool decks ink uh, after that. And then, you know, we'll do a little brief talking about what I've been, what I played and, and played against in my, uh, my, my two leagues. 
I think it's been so long for many of our listeners and us, honestly. I'm going to spend a little bit of time trying to actually talk about what these decks are doing when I talk about them in the, the top 32 combined meta to remind us kind of what meta Pioneer is all about and what the decks are all about in the format. So I also busted out our old friend Pivot Tables. Hey, um, buddy. Hey, hey, bud. And I tabulated all the decks to see what our combined top 32 looked like. I... I feel really inadequate that you guys can both make pivot tables and I cannot. <laughs> it's okay. You just have to highlight some stuff and then hit make pivot table. <laughs> Yet. Hmm. Um, okay. So let's, let's open up this pivot table together and, and realize that the combined top 32, 32 meta games was not exactly great. Hmm. Um, but I don't know if that means the format is not great yet. We had 13 Niv to light decks to start things hmm. off. Um, there are, of course, a variety of ways people are building these decks. I, I honestly feel like it's kind of disingenuous to call it a Niv to light deck because some are running as few as just one copy of Niv. But the core of the decks is kind of the same and the core game plan is kind of the same. You control the early game through hand disruption or removal spells or enchantment based removal, maybe like a sweeper or two. You make those land drops, you ramp with your mana creatures and growth spiral, and then you take over the mid to long game by tutoring up needed spells and creatures with Brain Delight. And a lot of these decks are also using Yorian for value as well. And, you know, apparently the loss of Uro and Teferi 3 didn't do much to reduce the power of these decks because I think they essentially have no fast combo decks to be concerned with, right? Like they can control the aggressive starts, they pivot to their end game really cleanly. They also handle slow mid-range decks really, I think, pretty easily because they just go over the top of what those decks are doing. That's something that we saw push decks out like the famous Chonky Red. You know, that got pushed out of the format months and months ago because Niv Tolite was just like, hey, I can go a little bit slower, a little bit bigger and stop what you're doing because you're just not fast enough to stop me and my stuff outclasses yours. And the latest inclusion in these decks, of course, is Valky, God of Lies, who's probably better known as a secret identity of Tybalt, Cosmic, Imposter. And that's a one or a two of in these decks. And just like Stan was talking about in Modern, Bring to Light is able to both tutor and cheat out Tybalt just you know a few turns earlier than normal, five mana instead of seven. Uh, and Tybalt is still really good at finishing up a game that's already in good shape because of the other cards you were running. So much like we saw in Modern, which is you know a control shell that can cast uh, Cosmic Imposter is still fine, um, just a little bit slower in a format like Pioneer. Yeah, I mean, how, are you worried about Tybalt being cast at five? Like, does it still feel abusive? Because to me, it just kind of feels like a good planeswalker. Yeah, that's like that's like five on rate, right? Like five to six at the most. I mean, that's a really good price for it, given that it's a backside of a flip card, but still it feels like you're not just auto losing when someone casts it on five at least, but what do you think Shane or Stan at five? It's now the best version of Opnixilis we've ever had. Kind of right. It's just, it's like the best Opnixilis to ferry the, the five that draws exiles, et cetera. Yeah. So be prepared to see more of this, but I think we have to keep moving. Uh, Rakdos Arcanist featuring Luris, um, 12, decks so just behind the bring to light decks is rakdos arcanist featuring Luris. it's a deck i honestly forgot about since we were last seriously looking at the format but stan reminded me that we were really hyped about this 
and we were really hyped about playing it if we ever had a reason to. And it seems that since Uro's out of the format, this like value generation slash incremental damage engine deck can truly shine. And it's like hyper efficient. It's super hyper efficient. Everything is dirt cheap. It's like one and two mana. And you're just stopping what your opponent's doing, generating ongoing value with your cards, like you're disrupting their hand, removing their creatures, recurring spells from your graveyard, making a bunch of elemental tokens, and then you get to finish the game with like your hulking Kroxa, and that's going to win a lot of games. And then Alluris, of course, adds that long game value if you need it. And what's interesting is that you will note this is almost exactly the historic deck. Yeah, that's what I was going to ask you. What's different? Golgan's command and maybe a few lands that and they I don't think those lands are truly necessary like that probably tells you something about the potential power of Arcanist in Pioneer or perhaps the power of Golgan's command (laughs) and it might be the latter it might also tell you something about just a weird blank space that exists in Pioneer where Arcanist gets to be so much better here but not in historic I mean it's good in historic but Interesting. I, th- I think we'll talk about the differences between those two formats too, because they're ostensibly similar, but I think they're they're different in a lot of ways. So, what's perhaps frightening is that like that's nearly forty percent of the top combined thirty-two meta just in those two decks, right? And our our next best deck is Boros Wizards slash Burn featuring Luris with six copies. It's the most popular Burn style deck in the format. Uses efficient damage-based spells and prowessy type creatures to, you know, go to the dome and remove, you know, opposing things on the side of the board. And you have Luris for ongoing value. Next up is Jen Citadel with four. Um, we talked about this deck many months ago. It's, it's a sacrifice combo deck. It's kind of like a, a beefed up version of Jun Sack in historic. Um, but you get a lot more pieces here. You have more mana dorks, you have more token producers and you have more engine pieces. So like Zulaport Cutthroat and Mayhem Devil both appear here. That chips your opponent's life total down. You have the finisher of Bolus's Citadel to deal 10 damage once the board is full enough. And so I think in Historic, you just can't make the board wide enough like you can with all of your token producers here. And Collected Company is also here to let you search for those necessary combo pieces. Yeah, so this is the Coco deck of the format right now, or the best one right now, probably. Yeah. yeah. Um, up next, Nai Winota. Like Winota... It's uh, three copies. Winota's still around as our creature combo burst deck. You turn your value two drop into a tutored up Winota with Eldritch Evolution. You attack in with it uh, for a massive value with creatures like Legion Warboss, Goblin Rattlemaster, and that kills extremely quickly. Very aggressive creature combo type strategy. Uh, also a three, Bono Black Aggro, still around. The same disruptive, aggressive, recursive deck of choice, hyper-efficient, hyper-resilient, also able to cast Fatal Push and Thoughtseize, possibly two of the best spells ever printed um, in the modern and beyond world. So you get to cast them here. Um, and then the two elves will go a little bit faster. Four-color Omnith, uh, no longer able to run Uro, but it still relies on the early ramp with like Lotus Cobra, Ghost, Growth Spiral, that's a huge reduction in the meta share for this deck, though. I mean, it, yeah, not, not yeah. that we, I mean, not that we're surprised by that, but that's like, I mean, there used to be like 18 of these in this sample size, and now there's two, you know? Yeah, that is that is huge. 
So people still want to get their Omnith value on. So, you know, then you want to, you get, they get a lot of value here. Like you get to escape to the wilds, you get Genesis ultimatum, you get part of the water veil, you get Felidar retreat and you can take over a game with it, but maybe not as well as you can with some other strategies, perhaps. Demir control also with two, kind of what you think it's going to be counters and removal spells, sweeper spells, shark Typhoon, torrential gear Hulk, Esper control also with two, another pile of counters, removal sweepers, but you get white <laughs> for absorb Supreme verdict Teferi five and dream trawler. And I'll tell you what, that's good. I think, um, Azoria spirits, two copies. The spoopy friends are back to try to tempo out opponents with flash creatures, spell coiler and mana beak. That's another big drop off. Spirits was one of the good creature-based decks in the Euro world, and I'm a little surprised to see it kind of decline since then. Yeah, I am too, honestly. I think it's a good deck. Perfectly good, but... Cromulent, even. Maybe not good enough. But it could just be a slight dip in the, these two tournaments, you know? I think I think Spirits is a legitimate player in the meta. I think you're fine playing it if you like it. Um, it just didn't show up huge here. I mean, I also think that it's it's much like... A previous meta long in the past niv decks just punish creature decks i mean like you can like spell crawler is like hey i'm gonna i'm gonna counter your your four mana or less spell and niv delight's like i don't care <laughs> try, try it um okay then we have 23 percent one ofs in our other category random and cool stuff like teamer possibility storm sultai ultimatum orzov auras and orzov humans jun traverse is it phoenix uh, Black Vampires, Jeskai, Lotus Field slash Approach. Is it Dragon Control? And and so on. All right. This is big. So it, although we have 13 and 12 copies between Niv and Rakdos, the other category does remain the biggest one, if you're just looking at one-ofs. You know, that alone is almost a quarter percent of the field. Yeah, crazy. We still do have two decks at like, 20 and 19 percent which is not great but it's nice to have a nice selection of one ofs so a little bit of a contradiction in what's going on in pioneer right now is just like it's less flat two huge decks and then yeah it's less flat yeah exactly any concerns about this kind of immediate meta we're seeing here shane take me on the journey (laughs) you know what i'm concerned about that tell me i i'm gonna need to borrow some money to take this is it dragon control deck for a spin <laughs> is it does it have goldspan dragon it, it does let me tell you i played against that on hist- in historic over the weekend and seems good it's it's doing the silumgar scorns thing yes it is yeah. yes yeah important with um, with goldspan cool. and sprite dragon i mean i'm personally a little bit concerned about just like two big mid-range decks ruling the roost right now because what that indicates to me is we might be looking at decks that are just able to go over the top of what the rest of the format is doing because there's not a lot of instant win combo decks that are durable enough or fast enough to kind of threaten the value that they're creating. Sure. Um, And I think this is something that Wizards has purposefully, or maybe accidentally, uh, what they've been doing through their bands. Like, they don't seem to want legitimate combos in Pioneer. Well, there's no there's no good cards to be able to stop legitimate combos. So we're in this medium space where you don't have cheap, fast, powerful interaction to be able to stop yeah. the combos from being super good. And so they have to ban them because they get too prevalent when they happen. Yeah. And so that's where you, you know, I mean, that's where we were last year 
And then here we were here was just we were in mid-range land, and now we're still in mid-range land. Yeah, but it's different mid-range. Yeah, like these, the just like you, the whatever deck can create the most long game value is fighting for dominance right now, and I would not be surprised for that to continue to be the case if they're good enough and strong enough to keep up with aggro or stop aggro uh, long enough to take over and turn the corner and stabilize. And I got stabilized against with with even things like uh, Esper Control because, you know, uh, an Absorb here and there, a Sweeper here and there, and you can't not really play to the board pretty fully with a deck like Mono Red Aggro, which I'll talk about in a second. And so I think there's a lot of decks that can stabilize and can turn corners with whether it's even just something as, as meager, potentially meager as a Dream Trawler attacking once or as big as a Omnath or as a uh, Niv-Mizzet, or as something like a, a Tybalt cast off a Bring to Light. Um, yeah, so the, the overall meta might be a little bit concerning, but I think if you look at the top eights, we don't have time to go into those right now. If you look at the top eights from these two challenges, I think they're a little bit more refreshing. Yeah, only thing I would say really quickly about the top eights of these challenges is that they are filled with really good players. <laughs> yeah. And so there are people who are still devoted to this format. You got Bolivo in both of the top eights, Source Odin, you have Phil Helmuth, you've got Claudio. Uh, you know, yeah. these are really good players playing Pioneer online. They care about the format. So yeah. it'll be interesting to see how they evolve it from here. Yeah, we have nine different archetypes in the the two top eights. That's pretty good. A lot of different decks, you know. Rakdos Arcanist, John Citadel, Naya Winota, Green Walkers even, even though it didn't really show up well in the, the top 32s. Demir Control, uh, a medium red, chonky style deck. Like They all made top eights. And a lot of them have Luris, by the way. A lot of them. Yeah. Luris still seems like a pretty powerful force in this particular format. Yeah. Or all formats, realistically. I mean, everybody's got a Luris deck. But I, I want to go through a single cool decks ink right now. And it's a deck that finished in the at fourth place in Sunday's challenge. And that is piloted by mental misstep. And it is a Grixis release to the wind Valky style control deck. And it's primarily Demir control with a light splash to enable Colligan's command and also probably casting hard casting uh, Valky. I mean, excuse me, Tybalt, when you need to. Uh, and so it, it's standard Demir Control, like I said. Four Release to the Wind, four Valky God of Lies. And Release to the Wind is a two and a blue instant that lets you exile a target non-land permanent. For as long as it remains exiled, you can cast it without paying its mana cost. So you can target your resolve to Valky on the battlefield and flip it into Tybalt. So it's a cheaty way to cast this. Yeah, and just a question, literally... That's the only thing you can do with Release of the Wind, right? Yeah, pretty much. I think so. Yeah. I don't know why else so you would. You're not doing it. You might be saving your Luris with it or something from from a uh, removal spell. But yeah, this deck also runs for Jace Vince Prod Prodigy, which I think is a card we thought was going to be good in Pioneer and never quite was. But um, powerful card. Yeah, it can generate some value for sure. Yeah. You can discard Release to it and yada yada. But yeah. Um, I think it'll be interesting to see if this combo continues to be a thing that players try to do. Like, is powering out an early Tybalt worth building your deck around this two-card combo? Like, are you a strong enough control deck where you're not 
necessarily saying like i need to play a turn to valky and i need to play a turn to release to the wind you're not that style of deck you can sort of do it eventually when you think the coast is clear or you have mana up to keep up a counter spell or anything like that i think there's there's a chance that that's fine or much like let's say a niv to light deck that can eventually bring to light into Tibble, this deck can control the game long enough to you know let's say i, I can release to the wind now yeah interesting and so like i was getting at i kind of want to talk about sort of my my feels of pioneer in the two leagues i played with uh boros wizard burn i ran out caleb yetman's fourth place list from the saturday challenge and i really gotta say it still feels a lot like the pioneer i remember and by that I mean, the the power level and the style of decks that I was facing largely felt like the pioneer I remembered of old. So in my leagues, I saw things like a Jund sort of Kroxa mid-range deck. Um, I saw Esper Control, the same player in two leagues. I lost to them both times. Uh, good matches. So thank you for those games. Uh, Mono Black Zombies, Orzov Auras. I also saw twice Boros Prowess, like a Featherless Feather type of deck is it wizards lotus field combo and azorius spirits so you'll notice i didn't see like the the two potentially more popular or perhaps more more powerful decks in rakdos arcanist and five color niv but i did play against a good smattering of what i think pioneer is kind of about right now so what do you think it's about right now okay so what i think pioneer is about right now is the battlefield and and i I know stan has a question for me about like what the differences between historic and pioneer are and i think that gets a lot to what i think the gameplay of pioneer feels like right now but like i think that at least what what boros feels like to pilot is like it's it's a it's a good burn-esque deck like it gets the job done like loris is an amazing long game enabler when you need it like my is it wizards opponent and i had this awesome game three it was like back and forth us removing each other's creatures we had like a, a 12 turn game which seems like an eternity for these two decks and then i you know top decked some burn to finish them off in game three after like getting some good incremental value with my luris and some just enough life gain off it like i got to attack with it once and that was all i needed to shore up my life total and that was a lot of fun i i wish i had faced down the potential powerhouses of rakdos or niv to see if they felt particularly op but like i know the general game plan and the frustration that i feel like a prowessy style deck can have against removal decks especially like more efficient black based removal decks like rakdos but again i think the burn spells in boros are more independently powerful on their own than some of the spells in modern prowess like there's no one damage lava darts here right there's a lot of stuff that deals three and deals four in like boros charms so you have a different kind of reach where you don't have to have your creatures on the board Shane, I'd love to hear you talk about, if you can, in greater detail about the difference between the two formats, because it does feel like Historic and Pioneer in some ways have so much in common that they're kind of in competition with one another in terms yeah. of where our incentive should be. I've had my own little interpretation of their difference. I'll run it past you, but I want to hear your take first, because you play a lot of Historic, too. And now that you've done a couple of leagues of Pio, like you probably have some more insight into where their identities differ. I think there's like a, there's like a funny difference in the power levels. Like 
Historic has a higher power level in some ways, and Pioneer has a higher power level in others. And also, I think the way that the formats have been curated uh, lend themselves to the way that the different formats play out. Can I interrupt you really quick? You just did. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> the, the way the, the power levels, here's my assessment. Agree or disagree? Pioneer has better interaction. Historic has better creatures. Period. Um, I'm not quite there with you. Like, I think that Pioneer has a deeper card pool, which lets you build more decks and you have more redundant pieces. Like, Jun Sack would absolutely love Zulaport Cutthroat. Rakdos Arcanist would absolutely love Culligan's Command. But in like the same way, like Pioneer doesn't have cards like Core Spirit Dancer or Muxus, right? And those are backbones of two of the most powerful decks in the format. Weirdly, Historic does not have Monastery Swift Spear, though. So, and Pioneer does. So you get, that's one access. So there is this weird, like, exchange between where some of the best cards in Modern are available in Pioneer, and some of the best cards in Modern are available in Historic, but not Pioneer. Yes. So you get this kind of weird thing. And some of the best cards in Legacy are available in Historic and not Pioneer and not Modern. And I think, and I think some of the cards that Pioneer has that Historic does not, or rather, excuse me, that Historic has that Pioneer does not, like Core Spirit Dancer and Muxus, are like linchpins to these decks. And I'm not sure the decks could exist without them. And weirdly, I feel like Historic has, or Pioneer, has more sort of redundant pieces that like sort of add up to a, a different kind of whole. And they're not as firmly important to each of these decks. And so I think that Historic has sort of more keyly important cards. And I think as it adds more anthology cards, the format might keep changing in ways that Pioneer really cannot. And I think the way that ends up actually playing out in games is that Pioneer feels slightly more generally powerful, but also more fair in some ways, because combo is significantly nerfed or like almost entirely removed from the format. But historic, on the other hand, can feel pretty combo-y to me at times with like many of those decks have cards that dramatically swing the tempo of a game or they directly contribute to your wins over and over again, whether that's a core spirit dancer, whether that's an Embercleave, even though that is, of course, pioneer legal. There's just a number of cards where it's like, if I draw my Muxus, or if I draw my spirit dancer, or if I draw, you know, X, Y, or Z, then I'm likely to win. I'm almost certain to win this game. And if I don't, I'm not really going to get there. And I don't think that's quite as there in, in pioneer. It's just wild to think about the cards that are pillars in Historic that aren't in Pioneer and the other way around. Like you just said, Embercleave, pillar of Historic, doesn't rate in in Pioneer right now. But on the flip side, you know, Niv-Mizzet, big card in in Pioneer, nothing in in uh, in Historic. So it's it's really strange. And it's just all about the different pieces that you have access to and that you want to build decks around. And it's a very weird and interesting consequence of i think the anthologies almost primarily and jumpstart so when you're printing cards directly and injecting them directly into a format like this that's the consequence but it's also a consequence of the band philosophy of pioneer which has been we want people to play to the board and be able to have longer games that generate different kinds of value and i think pioneer is like fair but fun like, I think it's a perfectly fun format to play. The weakness is, is that it's not on Arena. 
and you have to want to play with a different card pool and smaller card pool than modern. And I think that can have its advantages too. Like if you want to avoid some of the semi-broken, semi, you know, pretty fast strategies like Titan or Tron or Hammer Time or Heliod Company, things like that, like you can play Pioneer. You just have to deal with being on Magic the Gathering online and you know, not have the, 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 the interesting economy of Arena. And so <laughs> fair but fun. That's what we're I calling think, it now. The interesting economy. That's the thing for me is that it's it's a it's a really big advantage when it comes to having fun. Like I can't think of an example where I thought a particular sideboard card was like essential to me winning or losing a match, which is like a major complaint I would have about modern. Like, you know, Roiling Vortex might be pretty awesome as like a out to like a, a life linking auras opponent, right? Like that's that's great, but it's not like something where if I didn't draw this card, I was almost certain to lose this match. I wasn't hard mulling for hate pieces almost ever, I think. Like, you know, sir, I might be trying to get like, okay, an Eidolon is going to be awesome here. But I, I beat um, the the Lotus Lotus combo deck without, without an Eidolon just fine. I, I feel like Pioneer is getting back to the older days prior to Theros beyond death and prior to the combo meta, which could be seen as like a pro or a con depending on the kind of player that you want to be and that you you know, may aspire to be or the decks that you want to play with or against. And I think there are great decks in Pioneer, like of the, the classic magic sense. Like Everett mentioned this last week, uh, which already felt like multiple weeks ago. You can, you can play a great aggro deck. You can play a great mid-range deck. You can play awesome control, even solid combo decks. Um, both creature and spell based. Like you can play Winota, you can play uh, Lotus Field. Like those are decks that do exist and can win uh, quite well. In fact, I know Spencer in the Slack has been doing awesomely with Winota. I think he said it was like twenty and five or something like that. That's killer. So yeah, I I I hope that this is you know it's it's I like how Pioneer plays. I like that I don't have to deal with a lot of the the nonsense decks that can feel like you have no agency. What I have concerns about is that when those decks aren't in the format that then we're going to see a really heavy representation perhaps only in tournaments but those are legitimate places to have complaints about of things like Rakdos of things like Niv that don't have natural predators against them if I'm reading between the lines though I'm guessing you really like the recent bands in Pioneer like they basically killed Oops All Spells uh, to f- getting to fairy and Uro makes agency like <laughs> makes present. It makes, it, ma- it makes Niv to light not any worse. <laughs> Weirdly, still okay. Yeah. No, but yeah, like it does. It lets you play more, le- you know, quote unquote, legitimate games and kind of try to do your thing. The problem is that everyone's thing might not be good enough when you know it when it is. When there's not natural predators to big mid range and big control decks, perhaps. So wh- why should we? Yeah, play I mean it's an interest. It's an interesting tension, though, Shane. Where you're kind of like, I want to have agency, but I also want to have decks that reward complex decision making, not dominate the the format. And so there, there's definitely like a push and a pull there, right? Where it's kind of like it's a balance we try to hit in every every format. Really, I think it really depends on how if it's not combo to beat. Big mid-range, it has to be aggro. So then we have to look at how good are our aggro decks and are they good enough to beat things like Niv? And mm-hmm. and if they aren't pretty reliably, then that's a potential problem. Yeah, totally agree. Well, Control might beat it. 
Banned Sylvan carry added. That's what I'm saying <laughs> about Pioneer. Right. Can't we potentially lean on control to, to manage those big mid-range strategies? Yeah, I think control's pretty solid. Like, I thought it was perfectly good even against me as an aggressive deck. Like, I mean, sure. I mean, I think that was a good player. Like, if it's if you're running into the same player twice on the same deck, they're probably an Esper, Esper main. So good on them. But yeah, I mean, honestly, long story short, I think Pioneer's pretty cool. If you haven't played it recently and you want to play a deck like that and you and you don't want to necessarily deal with kind of the stuff that you're seeing in modern or even the stuff you're seeing in historic give it a shot it's fun I, my, my last pioneer question does it have the same th- did your leagues feel the way my modern li- leagues felt where it's kind of anything can happen and everyone is just trying to see if their favorite decks are are good again yeah I mean, I think it's, like I said, I played against like a bunch of different decks. I think people were playing what they liked. Uh, the number one thing I learned uh, and was reminded of is don't keep one-landers. Because I had opponents keep one-landers against me, and they uh, definitely lost because of it. And I was like, I'm not mulling to five. Uh, I'd rather just keep this one-lander because I'm going to lose anyway. And you always are punished. Never keep a one-lander. The end. Well, that was fun. <laughs> yeah. Before we get out of Pioneer, we're already over. But I'm going to ask the question, who's going to play what? in pioneer shane you played burn you go back in pioneer or are you gonna play burn again um i mean i did i mean i already played two leagues um that's a really good question i really do want to get good with a deck like arcanist but those are those decks are really challenging i've wanted to i want to revisit mono green planeswalkers uh, just because it's an old favorite i just didn't really have the time to do a longer walkers league but when you're when you're not when i play it on arena i'm constantly getting uh timered out or like really pressured by the timer uh, because there's a lot of complex decision trees in it. And having the the chess clock, I think, is a big advantage on Magic Online for the Walker's deck for me. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm looking really hard at um, Rakdos, I think, would be probably where I would be at the Arcanist decks. This seems like the format to try it out. I'm a little gun-shy about making it in Arena, so I would like to test it out here first and see how it plays and then maybe consider whether I wanted to bring it over to Arena, but that's just me. Well, I do have a lot of experience with that Arcanist deck in Historic, so I think it would be a pretty easy transition to Pioneer, so it sounds like... Yeah, maybe- play the better one, or the one that's at least better in the format. Yeah, maybe all three of us are finally playing the same deck once and for all, though this, I mean, this is a Dragon's deck. It went 5-1 in the challenge, so maybe it's not a Lark. Maybe it's Pilot Brunisters is very, very good and, and was buoyed by skill level, but I'm seeing this deck just kind of have good cards, and we were talking about Goldspan Dragon last week is maybe this really great finisher for blue-red control strategies and backed by something like Silumgar Scorn. Why not? Yeah. Why not? <laughs> Gentlemen, good good long trip through three formats. I think we, we learned a lot about what's going on in them, and uh, I'm hyped. I'm hyped to play all these formats, I think. Yeah, what should we do next week? Standard Vintage Legacy? Yeah, let's do it. Team Trios. <laughs> That's what's left. Yeah. <laughs> Fight us in standard vintage legacy. You know where to find us if you want to fight us in that team trios. Until then, that does wrap up this week's show. If you haven't yet, make sure you subscribe to our podcast so you get the latest episodes as soon as they come out. And if you use Apple Podcasts, please leave us a rating and review. You can even submit a question to the podcast or just pick our brain on something in magic by tweeting us at the dive down, all one word, or emailing the dive down at gmail.com. 
If you'd like to support the show, you can join our Patreon over at patreon.com slash the dive down. You can also support us by signing up for Mana Traders using our coupon code. With code the dive down, all one word, you'll get 15% off your first three months of renting Magic Online cards. Also, if you play Magic Arena, you can download the Untapped Companion software for free over at untapped.thedivedown.com. Get some data against the field. Get some data about your play. It's easy, seamless, works in the background, and it's really quite nice. As always, special thanks to the bands Nowhere and Spaceblood for letting us use their music. And until next week, get out there and explore these metagames!